finally in this session I'm really pleased to introduce um, Mona Sheeran who I first met I think in relation to the Agnes Martin show that uh, also um, happened at K20 um, Dusseldorf also a show collaborating with Maria Muller-Sharek and um, Mona was involved in that project and so it's been really nice to maintain a continuity and um, was particularly interested to hear about Mona's work on Leonor Tawney. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Bryony. Thank you for having me here. I'm really thrilled um, with this wonderful conference. At the beginning of my talk, um, I will come back to an image you have already seen yesterday. In the final chapter of her book on weaving, Annie Albers wrote, quote, the efforts of weavers in the direction of pictorial work have only in isolated instances reached the point necessary to hold our interest in the persuasive manner of art. Experimental, that is, searching for new ways of conveying meaning, these attempts to conquer new territory, even tree paths, at times into that of sculpture, end quote. Elaborating on this, Albus refers to a photograph um, of Dark River by American practitioner of fiber art, Leonora Tawney. From the perspective of Albus Bauer's philosophy, it appears Tawney's weaving techniques, inspired by Amerindian um, cultures, stuck a special note. Interested herself in pre-Columbian weaving, she seems to have realized how, just how innovative Tawney's work was. Do, I, do you hear me well? Is My aim is to examine the ways in which Tawny appropriated non-European vernacular objects and craft techniques, as well as Amer Indian and East Asian ontologies, and to focus on the role which the Bauhaus played in this appropriation process. Leonardo Tawny's woven works are not purpose-built in a Western craft sense, and more uh, move beyond the traditional European rules of weaving, orientated as they are towards two-dimensional textiles. From 1959 onwards, her so-called woven forms occupied increase, increasing amounts of space, depth, and heights. Tony hung these objects in mid-air at some distance from the wall in order to highlight their plasticity and to emphasize contrasts between opacity and transparency in the materials she employed. The size of her works is especially striking. There you can see some works which, which go up to, um, to other floors, but here you have, um, you have in, in Dark River, you have the dimension uh, also to, the, uh, to a person. <coughs> Measuring four and up to eight meters high, Tony's works hang from the ceilings of museums and galleries and clearly reject any handcrafted utility value. Tony finished off the gathered ends of threads with large knots inspired by Peruvian weaving, traditional um, Egyptian hairstyles and hair costumes, 
and Selenots from the Conity Slip area of Lower Manhattan, where she kept her studio. She lived there in the same house with, uh, as Robert Indiana and Agnes Martin. I'll just show to remember you um, a photograph from Hans Namut. Only uh, Agnes um, Tawny is missing there. As with Kelly, who also lived there, described Tawny's textile works as groundbreaking with respect to the evolution of installation art and influ influential to the approaches to space and material developed in the art of the 1960s. After returning from a trip to Mexico in 1945, Tony enrolled at the new Bauhaus in Chicago. There, in 1946 and 7, she studied sculpture under Alexander Archipenko, while also attending drawing courses with Laszlo Molloy-Nagy and Emerson Wilfler, and a weaving course with the Bauhaus weaver Marley Ehrmann. At the same time, Bauhaus excellists were steeped in influences from non-European cultures with the interest in pre-Columbian weaving and Asian culture, having traveled with Bauhaus students and masters to the US. Although Tony had already expressed an interest in non-European, Asian, and Ama-Indian cultures prior to enrolling at the new Bauhaus, the classes and people she met there must have intensified Tony's creative energies like light through a biconvex lens. Around 10 years later then, in these influences led Tony to her own particular way of working, especially evident in her woven forms. At some point during her self-imposed hiatus, after studying, Tony acquired a small hobby loom. Then, in 1954, she enrolled with Finnish weaver Marta Taipala at the Pendant School of Crafts in North Carolina. She began open warp weaving, as we can see in the work Egyptian Girl from 1955. Here the so, so white background, you could already still say, um, is, is an open warp. In her next works, she dispensed entirely with figurative motifs producing instead abstract in installation-like hangings that frequently moved to three dimensions. I would like to focus on um, the work Lekithos from 1962, as it is already in this fabulous exhibition. Um, so maybe yesterday and before yesterday, you, can, uh, you had a look at it uh, more closely. The piece exposes the linear quality of the woven fabric. It has a grid structure within which pyramid-like sh shapes are formed by warp threads pulled together in various ways. These gauze cross pieces then pour into loose thread ends that running over two brass rods come together to span the narrow space below them. And this space, uh, to my um, ideas, is very important. Here, Tony employs the technique of Peruvian warp weaving, and in so far, she separates the warp threads into groups, slip tapestry, a technique that the weavers of the early Bauhaus in Weimar, Gunter Stölzel, Ida Kikorius, and um, Margarete Willers also experimented. She also began to utilize the gauze weaving technique she had learned from Lily Blumenau in 1961. When using this method, she apparently also 
um, consulted two books from her library, namely Junius Bird and Luisa Bellinger's Paracas Fabrics and uh, Naka Needlework, and of, of course Raoul Doncourt, Techniques of Asian Peru um, and their techniques. Textiles of, open, uh, of Asian Peru and their techniques uh, we can also see in the exhibition. In, 1950, in 1962, she made Aztec, a contrast-rich piece made of black and white yarns with folkloristic elements such as tassels, fringes, and borders. Oh, sorry, this is, this is the, uh, the, the books, and now it's Aztec. With this weaving technique, the artist found a new means of artistic expression. Quote, I felt as if I had made a new step and maybe a new form. These evolved from a study of Peruvian techniques out of twinning and twisting. Out of that came my new way of working, of dividing and separating the piece. But Tawny's influences are not limited to those of the Indian pre-modern period. Rather, these are combined in her work with Taoist concepts of fullness and emptiness that also interested Archipenko. They can be linked as well to Molonaj Bauer's pedagogy and Charlotte Silver's sensory awareness body practice, but unfortunately, I can't focus on this today. Between 1943 and 45, Tawny read two volumes of um, Bavivikananda, a Hindu scholar um, and one of the major disseminators of the philosophies of Vedanta and the United States. Vivekananda writes of space in one essay about jnana yoga. Space is generated by the illusion of subdivision of opposites, but in reality it is characterized by the interweaving of opposites which connect everything. In Lekithos, Tawny brought this concept to life, although it is interesting that the title refers to an ancient vessel of holding oil, used especially in its wide ground variant in funeral practices, you can see on the left. In reality, Lekithos is not a container. With its light and airy structure, it is no longer possible to distinguish between inside and outside. The two intervene and permeate with another. A woven fabric takes shape in which loose threads consolidate to form a loose structure in transitioning into open hanging threads which then spanning the space beneath them. While studying under Archipenko, Tawny became acquainted with the instructor's vitalistic theory of negative space and the materiality of the sculptural void. These early figurines of Tawny uh, illustrate her preoccupation with um, Archipenko's spatial concept, his clay and bronze figures enclosed space within their contours, with the sculptures, a sculptor often utilizing concave and convex forms. Formal properties already articulated in Tony's sculpture from this period is transported into the space of Lekithos, connecting with the concurrent exploration of Asianistic philosophies. Archipenko likewise engaged with these. 
He refers in particular to this often cited chapter 11 of Lao Tse's, the so-called parable of vessels, about the function of vessels which rely on their clay uh, wall to create the space within. I quote, 30 spokes are made one by holes in a hub, by vacancies joining from a wheel's use, the use of clay in molding pictures comes from the hollow of its absence. Doors, windows in a house are used for their emptiness, thus they are helped by what is not to use what is. The chapter draws uh, our attention to how fullness and emptiness each require each other. Furthermore, we become aware of the use of and usefulness of intercalated space framed and thus brought into being in, by the manipulation of materials. Lekithos addresses this in two ways. Firstly, the shape of the piece is reminiscent to a container like a Greek vessel, albeit one that cannot hold anything. And secondly, the suspended form of this loose structure of threads reaching up towards the brass rods, Lekithos envelops a space underneath and inside the woven form. The view of indigenous um, cultures shared by the Bauhaus and Tony is subject of the filters of Western perception containing Latin projections to the so-called other cultures. It was influenced by the desire of a pre-modern archaic form of knowledge. In this, both Bauhaus and Tony aligned themselves with what was for the time a substantial examination of non-European artifacts and concepts nearly arrived in the West, newly arrived in the West, or reinterpreted by the host of intermediaries in the framework of the diversity of knowledge transfers, usually occasioned by colonialism. Stereotypical projections were at work in this process, which at the same time functioned as a critical stimulus of, for art production, making accessible non-Western concepts of reality and space for the first time. In this context, Tony's method of appropriation might be viewed as an example of dialectic primitivism, that uh, once that places trust in vernacular um, em empirical knowledge and epistemic authority and does not rely on reason and rationality as the only forms of knowledge. In this respect, the Westerners' exploration of non-European ontologies might also be uh, said to function as a tool of criticizing existing Western epistemologies and practices with these rational bias and obviousness I always have difficulty with this word of nature. What is crucial to note is that Tony not only learned about indigenous weaving methods from literature and teachers, but she also explored the ritual status and original functions of indigenous, indigenous um, artifacts in their cultural contexts. The diverse influences Tony absorbed cannot be considered separately. As assembled set pieces, they speak to a desire of connectedness, a topos of fabric in general. The singularity of weaving is that of difference between figure 
um, and background, between structure and content, between um, nature, material and culture technique is, is, is indistinguishable, which to my mind perfectly embodies the interconnectedness of logos and topos. The pre-modern non-European contexts in pre-modern non-European contexts, artifacts were often not intended to be construed merely as representations in Western sense, but as cult figures capable of making connections between the world and the netherworld, opening up pathways to ancestors. During her two years sojourn in per Paris, Tony, an eventurate vis uh, museum visitor, could not have failed to see the African and Amer Indian figures in the Musée de l'Homme, particularly as uh, they originated in parts of the world where Tawny had traveled to. Ripped from their cultural and ritual contexts, usually by colonial explorers, and um, presented in Western connections, such artifacts inspired Tawny in Dark River, for which she borrowed both from Egyptian hairstyles and Peruvian ritual practices. With their great height, her woven forms frequently evoke the scale of totem-like uh, African and Amerindian figures. Tawny series masks include uh, pre-Columbian beads and uh, found objects and, even, um, and are even more obvious to their making um, inspiration from non-European artifacts. Oh, I'm too early. I also show um, a, a journal here. I, yeah, I also show the. Oh, sorry, I also show um, the um, the journal um, with masks from the Museo um, of Tiananoka. Tony draw near uh, La Paz during her trip to Bolivia in 1965. A photo taken in her studio at Beekman Street show the artist among her woven forms which resemble an asiamistic forest of creatures. Quote, they came into being as I did them, she recalled. In addition to works, those titles refer to figures like the queen, the king, the virgin, for instance. They, there are other references uh, referencing nature, such as mountain, waterfall, fountain, or Orinoco, as well as allegorical titles like untaught equation or but dwindled to a star. However, the woven forms bearing different sorts of titles do not process correspondingly different forms. This can be connected to allusions to the cultural role of Amerindian artifacts Tony's work contains. Even if figuratively anthropomorphic, they frequently also functioned as social sculptures embodying cosmological concepts in their structures and manner of construction. Another interpretation is that Tawny, much like the original Amerindian ontologies, did not differentiate between objects and subjects. In fact, she understood all kinds of existences, all the Western categories such as man, animal, things, and processes as mutable, which any existence 
uh, capable of changing into another or absorbed from a different perspective, perspective and grasp with another sort of being. Tellingly, the artist collected the same kind of anthropomorphic artifacts, for example, this pre-Columbian vessel from her estate. I prefer to interpret Tawny's weavings as a similar, in a similar way as visualization, visualizations of cosmological concepts and indigenous wisdom, an interpretation informed by specifics of her working methods and textiles. This brings us once again back to the woven form structural moment, the aforementioned interseparateness of structure and content, warp and weft, nature, material, and culture technique. Most of the woven forms feature irregular outer edges, splits, openings, and dense, tight woven... Oh, <laughs> there's some light. Um, tightly woven um, sections that open uh, out again Elements frequently found in woven objects from Peru. The hangings are usually narrow and longer than their wide. The title of woven form, Path, prompts association to an internal map by way of its long, narrow form. Quote Tony, it's an inner interior landscape that I'm doing. Metaphors of interior states. Furthermore, Tony integrated objets trouvés such as feathers, quills, horsehair, and shells in her seemingly animistic work. The works like Mooring Dove um, or Untitled Bird, um, she attached dove feathers to the woven fabric to achieve an effect similar to the that described uh, Raoul Doncourt in his book of traditional Peruvian weaving. Birds and feathers became an increasingly important subject for the artist, especially in, a, in her later uh, object boxes and material collages. Tawny was well aware that different cultures viewed birds as being meditating and mediating between heaven and earth. The jutting feather of uh, mooring dove and also of the, bir the untitled bird look like antenna tuned to find the path. I come to the end. They should not be interpreted as universal truth, but as localized knowledge. I, th I think they could be seen also as hybrid objects in the Luturian sense. In this respect, Tawny's practice may be interpreted as an arena in which the boundaries between logos and cosmos dissolve. In her work, interconnections, interconnection leads not to universalization, but to perspectivism. Tony's work is not about conquering, about, uh, but about interweaving, connecting, and, as Likathos demonstrates, sending forth loose ends that connect with each other irrespective of culture. These were also motivated beyond the use of forms and Western concepts by the desire to render other constructions of reality in aesthetic structures and thus 
make them visible. Thank you very much. <laughs>